0: Hello everybody, welcome back to Cinematics. I am Ryan. I'm fucking Paulie. And today we're going to talk about a movie that I think needs to win Best Picture this year. 1917, directed by Sam Mendes, released 2019. Cinematographer Roger Deakins, written by Sam Mendes as well, and Christy Wilson Cairns. me, it's not even really a war movie. It's billed as a war movie. It takes place in a war, but to me it's a a movie about friendship and it's a movie about trust and a movie about keeping your promises and it's just it is so powerful i I've never sat in the theater and had such a visceral response to, to a movie I have to say i was i was I was physically reacting while I was sitting in the theater watching this the first time I saw it like grimacing and reaching for the character. Oh, it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some good stuff in that. I, I think it's a movie about, it's a, it's a movie about what humanity is capable of, be good or bad. I like that. It's really a, a horrifying movie and really, and also, or also really um, uh, moving
0: film as well. It is. Um, before we before we dive into it, at the time we are recording this, it is currently three o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, uh, February 9th. This evening, the Oscars are taking place. Now, this film, 1917, has been nominated for Best Picture Cinematography, directing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, sound editing, sound mixing, visual effects, and original screenplay. I personally would love to see it win at least a couple of these. I should I should preface this by saying I don't put a whole ton of faith uh, faith fate? faith is the word I'm looking for there in the Oscars. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Yes, it's great because it rewards people for hard work but there there's there's so much around what gets awarded and what gets nominated and the fact that it's it's a campaign and you're you're basically you know marketing and advertising yourself to get it more than you are actually getting nominated it's it's kind of dumb but i also think that people who have worked their butts off to make something beautiful deserve to be recognized for that and I think that the directing, cinematography, best picture, I mean every every single every single class uh, um, classification that it got nominated for deserves it in some aspect or another. What What do you think, Paul? Do you think Do you think it's gonna win any?
1: I think it has to. I mean, it's it's a it's a World War One movie that really did it well, and you don't see many World War One movies that really get any representation I guess in the mainstream it's all World War 2 and you know whatever else so I I think I think this does deserve one or two things just for the effect that it had on me especially with the special effects and the visual effects like damn oh, dude
0: so well done yeah. we're we're, we're going to get into we're going to get into that for sure so I guess for my little spiel at the beginning the the stuff that I loved about it before we dive into the details um i loved how accurate it was for the most part there, there obviously there was some liberties taken there was a couple of things that you know you can you can point out that were not necessarily 100 percent historically accurate but for the most part it's it's quite accurate to history it's quite accurate to um to the events that would have gone on i appreciate the amount of time that they obviously put into this movie uh the people who made it cared about it they spent four months blocking and rehearsing just to get the sizes and the rhythms down for each scene so that they could build all of the sets specifically to the scene. Which just is mind-blowing that they were willing to spend that kind of money and that kind of time to do it right. Because at the end of the day, it's it's a, a movie that's meant to feel like it's one shot. Uh, so you can't make edits in post, you can't cut scenes, you can't change things after... Everything that you shoot goes together exactly as it is shot. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, And you can't do much about that except for reshoot it. Um, And to that extent, I thought it was really cool to to find out as well that the the editor was actually there every day. uh, And when they finished shooting for the day, he would take the footage and cut it together and have it ready for the next day. So that the director oh, and yeah. and so Deacons and, and Mendez could watch it, know where they were at know that they were good to go because they shot it chronologically as well. It was all shot in order. Um, so as they went along, they had a cut of everything. So they knew exactly where they were, exactly what they had. They knew if it worked and they, they took the time to make sure they did it right. Uh, which I really appreciated. Uh, I really liked it's a movie about characters more than anything else. It, it's obviously it's marketed as a war movie, but, um but it's it's not i mean it is but it's it's not at the same time it's we'll have to get into that in a bit but the the screenwriting and the dial the dialogue and the 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 juxtaposition throughout of war and beauty and and oh it's just the technical mastery yeah every everything about it i, I i'm sure if i got nitpicky i could pick things that uh were not great or 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 whatnot but I just I just loved this movie so much. And we don't normally do new films, so I guess that's something we should say. There will be spoilers in this. We will do our best to be a little more vague in some of the more spoilery moments, but there's some stuff that happens in the movie that we can't not talk about if we're going to talk about 1917. And, and I know it's new, um, whereas we usually do older movies, so... Just a warning, there will probably be spoilers in here. If you want to, if you don't want the movie to be spoiled, watch it first, then come back. Agreed. Your go.
1: So um, from what I understand about this, a lot of these, or this story specifically, is based on what Sam Mendes' uh, grandfather used to tell him when he was a kid. And he said a lot of this stuff stuck with him, especially about these soldiers who would be sent across battlefields for miles and miles to deliver messages.
0: That that's what his grandfather did that was alfred h mendez's right yeah job.
1: exactly and just having to tread that terrain under everything that was going on like dude that would be a scary ass job to say the least the amount of research and the amount of dedication and work and time and effort that goes into just even even though they I can't remember how many kilometers of trenches they actually dug out and they built I have the exact number right here. They built
0: five thousand two hundred feet of trenches. Wow.
1: Yeah, and like some of the like another thing that they did really well in this movie is in the in the trenches they would have little signs kind of scattered all over the place. And I was like, what the hell are those for? And then I watched some videos, I can't remember the names of them, but they said like some of these trenches were so big that they needed. They they acted like street signs. Like that's how big these things were. They were like miniature cities.
0: They would actually they would actually name them as streets a lot of times. Yeah, these, exactly. These Trenches so people could navigate and figure out where they were going. Cause yeah. They were just kilometers of of well the the Western Front was pretty much like all of Western Europe for the most part. There was mm-hmm. a just a wall of trenches that moved inches or feet or kilometers every now and then back one way or another it was grueling world war ii gets a lot of attention because it's got a high death toll but how warfare advanced in between those two times i mean they were still stuck in this old idea like the during british colonialism for example the the idea of war was that you would take your soldiers and you'd put them in a line and they would stand there and they point their guns at each other and shoot. And they would just right. stand in a field yeah. in a line and yeah. it would just be like, how many people could you put in a line to die? And if you could put more then you would win. And it was, it, that's what happened in, in world war one. They, they built trenches to make it a little, a little bit less damaging. But at the end of the day, it was just how many bodies can you throw on the ground in front of your enemy's guns before they give up?
1: and there were there were days on the battlefield where they would only make it like a thousand yards and that was considered a huge victory
0: yeah and there, there there'd be weeks or months at a time where there'd be grueling fighting and no one would move i mean they talk about it in this movie they, they the, the line is they fought over this ground for three years i mean now you know they they weren't in that exact spot for three years but um that that's kind of the idea and like they, they talk about the battle of the Song. Uh, Schofield is, was apparently a part of it, and that, that battle alone had uh 60,000, 60, no 600,000 casualties. Uh oh, I,
1: I better make sure I have that right. I'm no war historian, man. That's the thing about this. I didn't really know much about World War One, and then I saw this, and I'm like, man, I, I it made me realize how much I didn't know about World War One. I'm like, I gotta look more of this up. Like, the whole thing started off in uh. Austria-Hungary, when one of their patriarchs was killed or something, wasn't it? And then that started a huge revolution, as far as I understand.
0: Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated, and it was essentially just one country declaring war on another over this assassination that dragged all of their allies into it, all over the death of one, one man. Um, it looks like the death toll was, for the Somme was somewhere in the range of a million people, all, all told. And that, that was just one battle. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was, people were were in the mud and it was winter and, oh, well, it was not oh, yeah. winter. Obviously, it was four years. But it was <laughs> cold and it was wet and people would get trench foot and it was just, it was brutal. Oh, yeah, trench foot. People froze to death. There was the yeah. lice, rats. Rats were a huge thing. Probably. The, the Germans used mustard gas. Yeah,
1: I couldn't imagine being in a war like that. I couldn't imagine being in any war, but this one. And I, I'll i keep saying this, but this one, like, legitimately, like, I saw it, it scared the shit out of me, man. It was like, holy fuck, this is brutal.
0: One thing I really appreciated, too, about that was that it doesn't glorify it. It's not about the glory of of war or honor or anything like that. It's just two guys on a mission, and the the war is the backdrop, and they're walking past, like, just piles of bodies here and like blown out corpses there and ruined land over here. And it's all just normal to them. You know, like they don't even react to most of it. I mean, the, the at one point Schofield puts his hand through his injured hand through a dead German and th- you get a reaction out of it. But,
1: Oh, Oh yeah. There were, there were people in the theater. Uh, there was, there was like an older couple to my left and then there was a younger, a younger couple to my right. And, it was just different ways that people were reacting like when he caught his hand on the barbed wire the guy to the right of me was like <laughs> like that right
0: yeah and that was insane. that was me man i was like i was <laughs> physically making and i was sure he was going to die because mm-hmm. that's what i thought he was going to get infected and it was mm-hmm. going to be that was okay we'll we'll get to that after there was yeah. something i wanted to say about that when we get further on
1: there was there was nobody out there just like machine gunning germans down just like having these big heroic moments like no usually like the germans were just these sort of silhouettes like you never really got a good look at them most of the time like you just it, except for one of... guy the one guy yeah but the even one so...
0: guy the kid who looked kind of similar to the same age as him that he had to suffocate you see his face that's the only one. Oh yeah i was thinking mm. about the guy in the plane to that point actually there's an interview with one of the writers christy wilson Cairns, who says that she said that the the point of the movie was that time and nature was the enemy of this film and 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 in in her research of the war that was a lot of people's opinions it's not like people i mean Ger- the Germans were the enemies but the the amount of casualties that came from weather and nature and just harsh conditions and time were as bad as the actual casualties of war in some instances and and they really tried in this movie to not make the Germans the enemies but rather to make time and and the the landscape and to make nature the enemy the antagonist rather than making the germans out to be the villains of the movie which i thought was really interesting and i, I like that you picked up on that and and the the
1: germans too like they were just going around killing livestock cutting trees down like anything destroying their weapons destroying like anything that the allies essentially could get their hands on leave them nothing of use leave them nothing and that's i think really important to that war too is just resources and everything as well as just they're going around killing the horses and the livestock and everything they possibly could just so nobody would gain any kind of advantage basically.
0: Transporting resources, transporting food and supplies around was was a big deal. It was difficult. I mean this was 1914. the car had only been invented like what 15 years ago Oh well, it, it's a little it's a little bit longer than 15 years. it was it was 30 years ago that they first the first car was invented. Oh okay. In 1886, it was the Benz. Oh really? Yeah, apparently, according to Google.
1: What is what does Google know?
0: Nothing. <laughs> or everything.
1: Did they actually have? Because there was that part in the movie when they were trying to push the uh the truck out of the mud. Did they actually have transports like that? Yes. Oh, yeah, they, did. they did. Okay. Yeah. Because so I've I've heard conflicting things, so I
0: wasn't a hundred percent sure. i mm, I mean, I I was pretty sure they did. They had submarines and they had. Boats, so I I'm guess, fairly certain I guess, that yeah, they would have they, had. Yeah, if they had submarines, trucks. then yeah. But they weren't super reliable because they had tanks too. They had, I mean, they were really primitive. They were just these boxes on treads, um, yeah, that often were super unreliable. But but they had they had tanks, so I mean, I'm sure they had.
1: Yeah, I guess it probably just depended on where they decided to utilize the trucks, given the terrain and everything, because they couldn't make it over over you know the terrain in no man's land by any means.
0: Yeah, no, there's there's no way craters and all that. You you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to take trucks through that. No, no
1: oh way. actually, this was another thing I was gonna say at the beginning when, when the movie starts off, they're they're just kind of relaxing in a field, and then you slowly see them kind of descend in basically into hell i think that's that's the way i interpreted it they're just in this field relaxing and then they get up and they're kind of going along for a stroll and then you see them kind of making their way through the camp and then they keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the trenches until eventually they're in no man's land
0: i i wrote that exact same thing i i loved how it's the the first shot of the movie is just this beautiful field and two two men taking a nap and it seems quite peaceful and and Within 20 minutes, we've gone to busy camp, to, you know, wide trenches, to narrow front lines, to brutal no man's land.
1: Oh, I, I guess it's I guess it's important to uh, to note that uh, Blake and Schofield are fictional characters. I think everybody in that movie was a fictional character. There were no specific generals or or anything like that that were of historical notoriety, I guess you could say. But it was just Based off of, you know, just the, like I said before the uh, the stories of uh, Sam Mendes's grandfather that was in World War one. Uh, what they call it historical fiction? That's what this this
0: movie kind of is is a historical fiction. So i I want to talk about the camera first and I want to talk about it first because every everybody on the creative team that I have seen, I, I've, I've watched a bunch of interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff and whatever in prep for this, and, and they, they all seemed in, in agreement that the idea with the one shot was that it was meant to hide the camera more than anything else. I see, yeah. If there's no cuts, you forget the camera's there, and it makes you feel like you're right in the middle of everything.
1: It's like you're a third guy going with them.
0: Exactly. You're, you're just there with them watching it. They, they had to be really careful because there are other one-shot movies. I mean, the two most famous examples would be Alfred Hitchcock's Rope and Birdman, Bird which Man. is Alejandro Inarridus. I think it's his first big movie. Big movie. Anyways, yeah. uh, but there's there's a lot of techniques that, that get used in there that are distracting. And in war movies in general, too, you you see like dirt splatter on the lens or you see... Uh, Blood on the lens or you see whatever but there's things there that kind of remind you that the camera's there and when you cut it also draws the audience's attention to the fact that they're watching a movie Mm -hmm. so uh, in the interviews I watched Sam Mendes has said that it was very important to him that this was a single shot and that's that's the way the movie had to be and that Roger Deakins was was on board but also concerned because he didn't want it to become a technical exercise which, in the interview, that's what he calls rope. Because at the time that Alfred Hitchcock made that movie, their equipment was so heavy and big and bulky that the... There were massive massive amounts
1: of limitations also when it comes to stuff like that.
0: Ex- exactly. So it be, the movie was then driven by this gimmick that they were working with. But they didn't want that with this movie. They wanted it to be... They wanted the camera to sink into the background and to drag you into it. And for me... It worked extremely well. I went into it knowing it was meant to be a one-shot movie. And I wanted to pay attention to try and find the cuts. And within yeah. 10 minutes, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was doing the same thing. Because I, I
1: forgot that the movie was, was a one-shot thing. Because I was, it took me a little while to even realize it. Because I was I was pretty much invested right away. And then I was like, that was all one-shot. And then as it kind of went on, I'm like, oh, this whole movie is supposed to be one-shot. I forgot
0: and i mean the the way that they put it together is just it's it's a technical masterpiece i mean but but that's that's why i think i want to talk about this first is because deacons has said that he doesn't want this movie to be about the technical ma- the technical exercise
1: yeah for sure so yeah. while
0: it's worth talking about the amount of stuff that they went through to make it happen it's not the point of the movie and we shouldn't Mm -hmm. dwell on it Mm -hmm. but i think there were a couple of things i wanted to note one of the things that i found really really interesting is there were only three lenses that they used oh really a 35 a 40 and a 47 millimeter okay all very wide angle lenses which let the camera be right in close and still get a wide range of what's going on around the people but when you pull back you can obviously you can still see them but when you get an even wider range the wide angle just gives it so much more gives it a larger scale for one a larger scale and more connection you feel closer when you're right in their faces they're going through the trenches on that mm-hmm. wide lens you are right there yeah and and it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked on a long lens and it wouldn't have worked if it wasn't handheld or you know gimbal shot and it it probably
1: adds to the fact that just humans line of sight as well. It's probably meant to emulate how people see. So it probably more or less throws you into it a, a little bit more, you know.
0: The fifty millimeter lens is the one that most closely represents the human vision. Oh, okay. So on a forty seven, you'd be pretty dang close. And even a forty, you'd be pretty close.
1: And th- there's probably other reasons why they use those specifically as well and just didn't stick with, you know, Uh, oh for sure you know 50 mil
0: but deacons doesn't do anything without purpose (laughs) oh yeah yeah, exactly look at blade runner 2049 exactly and it was just and the the way that they pulled off i mean just to run through and I, i you can find i think videos of this online but the the actual complications that doing this in one shot besides just what we had already talked about with having to build the sets to the script. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I have. I actually, I wrote down a quote from Mendes here. He said, uh, "The world has to be crafted to the rhythm of the scene." Mm. And I just found that so well put and interesting that that they went to that length where they they built each trench and each city street to match the shot that they wanted to get there, rather than making the shot fit what they had, which crazy yeah but when you get to the end and there's that final run and he's running to to get to the colonel before the attack the complication of that shot to get it right they had to they were on a 50 a foot techno crane which tracked with him and extended out and then when he left the that front bunker there were two grips who were in costume as soldiers, who picked up the camera off the crane. Oh, shit. (laughs) Ran it down to a camera truck, which had another crane on it. They mounted it onto the crane on the back of a truck. And then as the truck drove away, as Schofield starts running, they get out of the shot by crossing as soldiers in in the advance. So there are two grips in that run. Who were handling the camera between one crane to the next crane? Fuck. Who then ran across and would have gotten paid twice that day, which is kind of cool. That's that's problem solving right there at its finest, man. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I mean, it probably cost them a lot of money because they would have had to pay their grip rate, but they also would have had to pay them as background, so they would have gotten got two day rates that day. So it wouldn't yeah. have been cheap. Yeah. But it would have. Uh, it it did exactly what it needed to do, and and that 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 whole they had motorbikes rigged with cameras at at some points and car it was like the amount of stuff that they had to do to make that happen and hide those cuts in such an effective way that I didn't even see any of them there's a couple obvious ones
1: yeah like when you cross in front of things or maybe the camera spins around and you go into someone's shoulder
0: you know yeah whip pans if you look in whip pans you can see them when when the camera like there's one instance in the city when he wakes up after being knocked out and the camera goes out through the window. That's obviously a cut. If they pass through doorways into darkness, kind of thing. Those are usually yeah. cuts. Yeah, but they're hidden so well that you don't even see it.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially if you're not really looking for them. Like, mm-hmm. say, most people that go to see these movies probably aren't looking for them as much. But
0: no, and that's that's the point, right? Is exactly. that it's supposed to be hidden?
1: Yeah, and I. Just like you, I've I forgot that there was even any there. I was just too invested to really to really take a exactly. too much of a look at the camera stuff. I was just like,
0: whoa. I was so into the story that I completely forgot about all
1: of dude, it, dude. I gotta tell you, this movie like I was I was holding back the man tears at some point. I gotta say, like, dude, I didn't I didn't even hold them back at the end. <laughs> I was
0: like straight up bawling, man. When he, like when he's talking to fucking Blake's brother, I was like, oh no, yeah, Robert Stark. One more thing I wanted to mention about camera before we move out of it, I think, unless you have something else to say too, but I I found it really interesting how the camera and especially the blocking, the actors, the director, and the camera all make this little dance to show control. Mm -hmm. And it, it happens a lot throughout the movie, but you really see it right in the beginning when they're first going through the trenches. Schofield's leading the way when they start. He's going, which... I don't know if that was intentional, but it feels like foreshadowing to me that he would be the one to be in, in front because he is the one who's in charge. Most of the time he knows, he seems to be more rational. He thinks more, he's a little more capable.
1: Yeah. A little older. He's got more experience out on the battlefield.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But there's a point where then they switch and Blake's leading as they're going Mm -hmm. through the trenches Mm -hmm. and, and that, and whoever's in front is controlling the momentum of the scene and, and through the blocking and the camera placement, they're, they're telling you who's in control. And they're giving you character because there's mm-hmm. not much dialogue in the movie. And the dialogue that's, that's there, there's not a lot of time for them to explain their, or like, show their character traits. Yeah. So they have to do it smartly and they have to do it in ways that they wouldn't necessarily use. and And they use the camera for that. In in how it's placed, in how it moves, in who it puts where in the frame, and how it frames them, yeah. and who it lives on in each shot, gives you character as much as their dialogue does. But
1: like there's there's one shot and they're traveling through no man's land and they they're going through this 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 big crater and there's like a lot of water. It's like a pond at this point pretty much. And they're the cameras I think at their back. And then it slowly moves out to the side, and then you can see all the all the other chaos and all the stuff in the foreground and the background, and then they're just moving through. It, just the way that the camera kind of swings around just to even add suspense. It's
0: always moving forward, too. That was something they mentioned, is that it always has to move forwards. The momentum's moving, the camera's moving, and it just keeps... You wouldn't have the tension that 1917 holds beginning to end if it wasn't shot that way. It wouldn't have the unending tension.
1: Here's here's another thing too that I I just kind of thought of now would um there are there are moments I think when just to you know keep you in the moment a little bit more where the camera instead of moving forward might actually kind of rotate around them. You know, because there are there are moments when things kind of slow down and kind of stop and everything, but they're always there's always something happening with the camera to kind of I guess enunciate Accentuate, I guess, is a better word. Certain emotions that the characters might be feeling, like say, for instance, they they can't go on, or they don't know what to think about a certain thing, or whatever, or they're feeling stuck. For example, you might not see the camera moving as much.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. It's especially a movie like this where it's a race against time. When you feel like the camera's not moving, the characters don't feel like they're moving. Or
0: well, oh man, the first time I watched it, it was sitting in the theater there. When when he's in that basement with the French girl and that baby, mm-hmm. he walks in there and he sees them. And I was like, okay, this is this is the thing. This is this is fine. This is a nice reprieve from the the action and the, the loudness and running and whatever. He gets a break. Mm-hmm. This is good. And it's supposed to be such a nice, happy—not happy, but like you know—he's having this it's, connective it's a, it's like
1: a moment of respite, I guess. Or yeah, you know,
0: and yet. The entire time he was there, the whole scene, all I was doing was sitting there, whispering, thinking to myself, no, you have to go. Stop. No, just leave. <laughs> just go. Was, leave. You have to leave. Too. You can't stay here. And it, yeah. it was it was so tense, despite the fact that nothing was going on and he was relaxing. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when the bells start tolling, I, I honestly think that that's the most brilliant moment in the entire script uh as far as writing and and directing go because the bells on the church start uh the the clock bell starts tolling and all you you're like tight in on Schofield's face and you see him look up and you see in his head he's counting and you're counting Mm -hmm. because you have no idea what time it is yeah you haven't known for a good half an hour since he woke up from his whatever and Mm -hmm. and you're counting and he's counting and at the exact same time you both realize how fucked he is yep and how far behind schedule he is and how he probably isn't gonna make it and all the movie needs to do to make you feel that sense of dread is give you six bell tolls in silence with with just his face
1: at that point too he was really screwed too because he'd been knocked out for however long and then and his watch was broken so he didn't and, even and, know what time it yeah, was yeah exactly so and then she's like it's morning soon you can't go back out there so again you know he's even more deep shit because you know the germans are going to be able to see him now and he like mer- like barely made it out of that town it's just
0: brilliant how that that whole scene played out yeah and you get to the end and uh, the way they carry that tension through just is so well crafted. Agreed. I can't I can't even sometimes. <laughs> I just can't even. I did want to talk a little bit about lighting for a second.
1: Oh, yeah, totally, for sure. <laughs> because
0: Roger Deakins, he's been called the greatest cinematographer alive. I think if you talk to him, he would probably disagree. But his images and his lighting is just on, on uh, an uncomparable level in so many ways. And when we first started watching them, when I first started watching, it was all it's all day scenes. You start in the day, it's all shot chronologically. And they did not use any lights for any of the day scenes. Because with the way the camera moved and the, the free-floating and everything, there's too much risk of mm-hmm. actually seeing a light. Yeah. So they didn't use a single light. The only lights in the first half of the movie are like the oil the oil lamps that mm-hmm. they have with yeah. with LED bulbs in them to light the bunker and when they go in the second mm-hmm. time to the mm-hmm. second bunker. But then they get to the night scenes and they do some insane yeah. stuff. Like when, those, when he like wakes the up flares,
1: yeah when he wakes up and he sees the flares, I was like what those are
0: actual flares too. Oh, they God. had track, not track, but like these big arcing rigs over top of the city, town that they built, and they would carry the flares on these crane cable car rigs over top of the city, and they had planned down to the second exactly how long each flare needed to run to get from top to bottom in exactly the speed to get the shadows they wanted. They tested it all in minis first for shadows. All of it was done with real flares and that was the only lights they used for that section was flares.
1: Oh, no shit. And then
0: they get to the church, the burning church.
1: Mm, that was cool. I saw what they did with the burning church where they had that giant tower with all the lights on
0: it. It was a 50 foot tall tower with two thousand one kilowatt lights on it. Holy shit. And God. that was meant to light the entire. That was it. That was the big thing that they used to light that whole section. Yeah. It was just a tower of lights. And it. It looked so good and the Mm. silhouetting and then you see when the German comes out and you you don't really know he's a German, but you think he is, but they're walking towards each other and they're not shooting each other. And you're like, wait, who is it? What's going on? Why aren't they? And then they start running and you're just. (laughs)
1: Yeah, because I I remember when I was watching that scene, too, I was like, Schofield, where's your gun? Because I was looking for his gun and I couldn't remember what he did with it. I was like, oh, he must have he must have bailed on it, probably because he either had no ammo left or it was just slowing him down too much he was better off running
0: i mean at that point he was by himself it was a dark city he wasn't going to be shooting anybody he just needed to go and i guess my last thing that i wanted to say about lighting that i thought was interesting it it doesn't even have that much weight but like they they had a small detail where they were using flashlights in different scenes and according to deacons they spent weeks just testing flashlights finding the right style of era-specific flashlight that would fit the right LED bulbs with the right batteries so that it would last long enough for their takes that are sometimes six or seven minutes long, that wouldn't be distracting, that wouldn't flicker on the camera, and would look authentic. And like just just on flashlights for a couple of scenes, they spent weeks trying to find the right ones. Well, and good on them, too, because people
1: especially people who are really into that kind of stuff, like all the world war, you know, historical accuracies and everything, they notice stuff like that. So they'd be like, that's the, that's the wrong kind of Kelvin for, for that flashlight or the wrong color. Because they would have probably
0: been burning oil for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that was one of the challenges is finding ways to, and again, with the bumper and bunk bumper, the bunker (laughs) and the, the oil lamps, they were authentic era oil lamps that they just, jimmy rigged bulbs into yeah anyways that's i think that's everything i wanted to say about camera and lighting at least for now unless we come something pops up but i just i was just so impressed with the technical mastery that went into making the audience not see the camera and now we're like 40 minutes in and we haven't even talked about the meat of this so (laughs) let's talk about the production design
1: how long did they say it took them to to do all those trenches, like a few months or something? like five uh, months? they
0: they rehearsed for four months to prep and walk in exactly how big they were going to be before they started building them. Mm. And then I think it took them for probably five months to construct all of it,
1: yeah, and that was with machines too. yeah at the at the beginning, too, you can kind of see all the different levels of how the trenches operated too. Like I just, there was more, it seemed like there was less going on on the surface and more going on inside the trenches. There was people building things and just, you know, reinforcing the trenches. They had their dugouts and everything. There's the little street signs and everything. And on top of that, too, with what was the name of that city? Écouste. Right.
0: I, I, I don't know French very well. Oh, okay, fair Écouste, enough. Saint-Main. Okay. That
1: city, that was... Essentially destroyed. The way they recreated that, I think they did it in a miniature as well. So they, yes, it, it looked. Because when I saw it, it looked as though how buildings would have collapsed. Like it just didn't look like a big pile of rubble. Like where they just said, "Oh, let's let's stick a few towers here. Let's do this. Let's do that." Like it looked like it looked it, real. It looked like a real place where yeah, you know, buildings actually had fallen over. Uh, yeah. And then there was, I think my favorite, my favorite section in terms of like set and everything was, uh, no man's land. I, I, dude, I couldn't picture anything closer to hell than no man's land. Like, dude, that was fucking brutal. There were people caught up in barbed wire.
0: There was razor wire.
1: Yeah. Razor wire. There were people just with big holes blown in them. There have been people there that were probably there for weeks, if not months half buried in the hill it's like they became a part of the landscape like the landscape itself was just dead it was just death
0: I, it was yeah it, I, this 1917 needs in my mind needs to win production design for the amount of work and time and effort and research and that went into I in when I was in film school I was art director on a World War I short and we went to a war museum and talked with someone who had actually been in a war, um, who now worked at this museum. And he walked us through how the trenches worked and how how they would have been constructed and how each piece was put in, so that when we built our own trench, we could make it look accurate. And I mean, these 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 guys did the same thing. They 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 knew exactly how the trenches were built. They knew what was done where they knew what served what purpose and what little detailed pieces would have been put in. They knew it was going on and they made some really, really haunting things. Oh yeah. In, in just these like beautiful fields that Mm -hmm. they were, that they were given.
1: Yeah. And the other one that I really liked too was, uh, after he, he escaped, he escaped that city, a um, after he escaped and he's going down the he's going down that river and then you start seeing i think there were petals from the cherry trees just like before certain events happen and then it was just like he he's going down this this river and then all of a sudden he he hits this this roadblock i guess and it's just bodies and he's
0: like a log jam of corpses
1: yeah and he's just freaking out and he's trying to get out of this river and everything and and oh man, at the end too. Like when he's in the trench and he's looking for um, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> when, Bur- he t- when-, Dick's <laughs> when he turned, when he turned around, I for some reason I think it was just because it was him, and he's like, I don't know. He just has such a presence. I I almost wanted to laugh to a degree just because. Oh no, I I did too. It's not yeah. just you. He, okay. There was there was
0: like half a second where I almost wanted to chuckle, and then he started talking, <laughs> and I was like, oh, never mind. It's like yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch I, I, I got to say I am I am quite impressed for just like, you know, he, he's obviously he's he he was brought in. So something interesting I guess is that um the uh, Sam Mendes has said that he wanted the audience to feel as though they didn't know these people, that they were just two young kids who'd been dragged into this and so he specifically and intentionally chose two actors who did not have a lot of recognizability george mckay and dean charles chapman have some credits mostly in british tv those are the two main guys yes dean charles chapman is blake and george mckay is is Sch- Schofield. and they have like their their resumes aren't tiny but they're not big name well-known actors well lake was in uh, game of thrones other than that yeah so that, yeah. that's that's the one thing but he specifically chose that because he didn't want people to see them and feel like they already knew them
1: yeah like if you put you know this is a, a, an extreme example but say if you just stuck tom cruise in this movie you know it'd be distracting because you'd
0: know it was tom Cruise. you'd know it was tom cruise and you'd, you'd you'd make assumptions about his character already (laughs) yeah whereas we got to we got to live with and experience these characters and learn about them as we went along so to wrap back to the reason i say this i i feel like benedict cumberbatch is mostly in it because they needed a name to sell the movie Mm. they needed to put someone in the trailer who was gonna put Butts and seats and draw audiences, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's it's one of the things I hate the most about filmmaking, but unfortunately, it's one of the most true one of the most consistently true factors is that unless you have an actor that people know, your movie's not mm. gonna do particularly well. yeah, fair enough, and it, you're not gonna to market it or sell it. but despite that, i knowing Benedict Cumberbatch and what he's done, I was a little bit. That's why I wanted to laugh at first when when he turned around. because I was like, oh, God, why would they put him here? And then he started doing his thing. And I was like, oh, shit. okay, yep, Yeah, this guy's fucking terrifying. Yeah,
1: it's not that it was it was bad or anything. It just for a moment, it kind of took me out just because I knew who he was, because before that, there was maybe two two actors that I recognized. And then you just get this, you know, this this titan that's Benedict Cumberbatch and he's, he just appeared and it was good that he appeared near the end though. Like if it was in the middle, I think it would have been a little bit more distracting, but the fact that he had such like, he was kind of a key component by the end. he had to get to uh, McKenzie to tell him
0: to call off the
1: attack. Right. So
0: mm-hmm. I think,
1: I think he was a good choice for
0: that part. He was very much. So
1: one, one thing I was just thinking of actually is like, when you see Schofield and Blake, it's like i don't know like it it's like you look at you know those world war 1 photos and you see so many people like so many faces without names it's like if you could just go into one of those photos and pick up where you know where one of those photos left off essentially that's kind of the thing i kind of get with you know the lesser known actors is it's it's almost like jumping into one of those photos
0: i like that a lot i feel, i feel like i mean i i haven't seen mendez say that directly but i feel like you've hit on a really important point there which is that
1: well there's just so many nameless faces
0: yeah i mean and 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 that's like a big thing with with especially world war one and world war two is is just photos of these people that you've never met to try and remind you of of how awful it was and all these all of these sacrifices made for the world that we have today as people would say it um but you don't know any of these people and and being able to get in and, and get to know them was really special a good example of that too is at the
1: beginning when they were just about to go into no man's land and the the one uh colonel or whoever he was gave him that flare gun he's like oh these these things we don't see them after people go out we don't see them anymore so if we don't like giving these to the huns <laughs> yeah <so laughs> throw like, it back yeah. if you don't make it <laughs> yeah exactly I, I don't know it's just one of those things i I kind of think about when I watch movies like these is just giving, giving character and humanity to a lot of those faces. Right.
0: For sure. And, and I would, I would say that this might be a bold statement, but I think that this, as a, as a war film, this movie does that better than any I've ever seen.
1: I agree. Actually, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on was at the, at the end when he was trying to get through the trenches and there was just like miles and miles and miles of like of all these soldiers about to go into this battle. And I really liked, this is just sort of a comparison that I'm making, but I really liked Dunkirk. But one thing I found is especially on Dunkirk beach, it looked way too, it looked barren. Like there was nothing going on. It was just a bunch of guys on a beach standing there. It's like, dude, there would be like, like which was the point though. It was, but I mean, I think With the real events that happened, like there was stuff on fire everywhere. There were dead bodies. Like it just, it looked way too, it looked way too clean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I see what you mean. I think
1: that's just because of uh, Christopher Nolan's tendency to want to use practical effects as much as he possibly can, which is fair. But I mean, there are certain points where you might say, hey, like, let's let's build up on this a little bit, even if we have a little CGI. I mean, 1917
0: did use a lot of practical effects as well. Oh, it did. Yeah. The the explosions and things. Those were all practical effects for the most part. And and that sort of thing. But, but I, I certainly see your point. Anyways, I'm not going
1: to dwell on it too much, but that was just sort of a a comparison that I'm kind of making when it comes to that. There was just, it seemed like there was a lot more going on in 1917.
0: It, It felt more real and alive. I guess that that's something interesting. I hear that term used a lot with video games. Uh, because video games are are very much not real people; it's all animated, et cetera. The world is all constructed digitally, um, so you're trying to make the world feel alive when you build these backgrounds and these 3D environments that your characters are going to move through. But it's it's the same thing in filmmaking too. When you're uh, when you're doing production design, when you're blocking your backgrounds, when you're when you're setting up the the set deck and the props and all that you still want to make the scenes feel real and alive they don't you don't want them to be cluttered but like it it's got to feel like there's real people there doing things yeah and 1917 did that really really well
1: oh yeah like in, in the in the trenches like just seeing them i guess that's what they used to do too just to fill time was they would just fill up sandbags and they would repair things just to keep them motivated yeah just to keep them busy and motivated to some
0: extent because well and when you're moving you warm up
1: yeah and a lot of guys on those battlefields like they went they went insane because a lot of the time too they were just waiting I think that that was another thing Sam Mendes said was they wanted to give you the feeling of boredom like there was Mm -hmm. just there was just they were just waiting for the next thing to happen and I guess another good thing to mention too was uh the fact that they had uh Indian soldiers in there along with Africans. Yeah. And, you know, cause they were a massive part of the war.
0: Like, and that's something that's often overlooked, especially in Americanized war movies is the idea that Americans are fighting the war. British are fighting the yeah. war, but, but world war one and two were only as big as they were because the countries that were at war had colonial States that were required by contract to go to war with their allied colonizer Mm -hmm. so when when england goes to war in that time period canada goes to war half of you know Mm -hmm. africa goes to war a lot of the east and middle east go you know and they all have to provide soldiers and supplies and and the only reason the u.s really wasn't a part of that until later in both of those wars is because they had already fought and freed themselves from their colonial contract Mm, mm -hmm, yeah so we as canadians were in it from the beginning and along with uh indians like east indians and and africans and Mm. and you don't see that in in many war movies so that that was really cool to see that there was at least at least a couple characters in there
1: and uh I i believe that india was supposed to gain their independence for joining joining in on the war effort which never happened so
0: that yeah, sounds um, about right. God, God, <laughs> God save the queen, man! Okay, always, obviously. <laughs> Jeez. So I wanna. We're getting kind of long here, but I do. There, there's so much to say about this movie, and I I really want to talk about the writing. Mostly, it's the dialogue. In a lot of ways, I I was, I was really impressed with how how much information was carried in in such small packages of dialogue. Yeah. And it it never felt forced, it never felt fake in any way, but the, the the scene I'm I'm thinking of in particular, they've just gotten through no man's land, they've just broken through the barricades and they're now walking through the field and they start talking about medals. It's maybe four or five lines where Schofield admits that he traded his medal for a bottle of wine, yeah, and they have a short back and forth where Blake gets kind of offended at this, and he's like, "You should have at least brought it home. I would have brought it home." Blah blah blah. You know, that's yeah, just, yeah. It's such an honor, and Schofield goes on to say it's just a bunch of tin, mm-hmm. you know. And then he responds, not, him, "Well, no, there's ribbon a, on it. Yeah, there's ribbon on it too." And it's it's a couple of lines back and forth, but it it gives you a better sense. Of the two characters than I think any other point in the in the movie just through that dialogue you know that Blake is kind of naive you know that he's an idealist you know that he's a little more wrapped up in the idea of honor and dying for your country and you know that he's probably not been in the war as long he's probably a fresher recruit whereas Schofield. Has probably been in the war longer. He's seen more things, and he doesn't buy into this honor and glory and and uh oh, take a medal home because you know it's it's it'll make up for it. You know he's he's jaded. He's
1: and I, I would also say he's more practical because it's like what what the hell is a medal gonna do for me on this battlefield? It it's a matter of necessity. It's like I'd rather have the wine. If I was yeah, in that he's, he's a realist. Yeah, I, I'd be like, you know, fuck this metal. I, I want some wine. Like, I need to stay alive, or <laughs> I'm you know, thirsty. Stay, yeah, I'm thirsty. Like, I don't get stuff like this really ever on this barren wasteland of a war zone. I guess it's just I I take the
0: wine, man. Fuck the metal. Exactly. He's he's an ideal. He's a realist. He's he's practical. Blake is more of a dreamer. He's a little more naive, and we get that again too. Uh, we get affirmation of that after the trench, or before, I guess it's before actually. It starts the conversation because then the trench collapses on them, and then, and then Schofield tells them, uh, "You never know. That's your problem." When, when Blake's saying, "Oh, I didn't know it was going to be so hard. I thought it was going to be something easy," and he's like, "You never know. That's your problem." Well, that 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 right there is again another nail in the coffin for Blake being naive and, and young and new to this. Whereas Schofield's a little bit more of a veteran. He knows he's seen enough to know the truth of what's going on in a way.
1: Yeah. And I I don't even know if I want to like, uh, if, if we have to, we can cut it out. But like that, that naivety and that, that idealism that Blake possesses, what is what ended up getting him killed anyways. Oh, a hundred percent, which sucks. I was like, man, like this is, that's what you get. He,
0: helped a man who otherwise was going to burn alive. Mm -hmm. And in return, he gets a knife in the stomach because war is brutal and war doesn't care. Yep. And, and that was, that was my, the the next thing I wanted to say about, about the writing portion of it is that the, the movie, like we said before, does not stand on glory and honor and, and the glorification of things. Everything that happens is abrupt and it's real. You know, when, when that bomb goes off, in there, it's there's not like this big buildup where you see the mouse going and it builds tension. You know, the the rat drops down, it starts to run. They go no, and the thing explodes. Oh, there's no
1: yeah, and you you know what's gonna happen, and it still startles you just because of how real that bomb blast
0: felt and how fast it is, and yet still, despite the fact that it's so fast, the tension is still there, even though the tried and true tension method is is like show you know, show the audience, don't show the characters, let it build up, you know, whatever people, you know, build things for so long to build tension, but you don't need to. And that right there is evidence that you don't need to do that to make a scene tense. And then again, when this happens, you know, the camera, I, 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 ooh, I don't know if I can say this, because I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to say it. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that the first time we don't See Blake in the frame is when he dies. I'm fairly certain that he's in every scene and in every shot, but then the camera pans away. And as soon as it panned away to Schofield getting water, I was like, Oh no, oh yeah,
1: right, oh, yeah, that's right. not
0: good, that's not good. And then you hear them struggling, and I'm like, He's gonna die, and sure enough and even though you see it coming yeah it's visceral it's abrupt it's real the the only the only thing is he wouldn't have died that fast from a stomach wound he would have ble- it takes like an hour to bleed out from a stomach wound usually but I'll give it to him because you know oh yeah they they need to move on with the day but yeah
1: cuz uh yeah you might be right actually because yeah, and you only catch you only catch like the back end of it. You just see him pulling the knife out, and then he just he pops him a couple times. That was another thing I really liked was the uh, the way they portrayed shooting somebody. I guess is just it was just it was really quick. It was pop pop, and then that it's was realistic. It. It, and just the like the sound and everything, and just the way yeah I don't know. There was just something about that where I was like wow that felt like more real
0: than most of the war movies that i've seen if not all of them because when you shoot someone in the stomach their stomach doesn't explode and blow blood everywhere exactly that doesn't happen what happens is a little piece of metal flies into their body makes a puncture and their body starts bleeding but it doesn't like i mean you get a little bit of blood splatter and yeah especially if if there's
1: an if there's an exit wound if it's if it it doesn't exit it usually just breaks off into tons of little pieces and just fucks your shit up
0: yeah exactly, but it's not it's not glorifying that kill. It's not making it into this big thing. It's just like well, my friend just got stabbed by this guy that I told him we should kill, and now I have to shoot him and it it doesn't it's just it's real and it's it's so much more impactful because of that
1: there there was even like a a small kind of iota of hope I guess you could say when Blake got stabbed and you're like, Oh yeah, I think cause they kind of, they really made it out to be like, he was going to be the one to get back and see his brother. And then you're like, Oh shit. Like he's not going to make it through this. There's like a couple of times where you think that he might be able to pull through and keep walking. But then you just see, you see the color in his face starting to change. You see the blood yeah. pouring out and you're like, Oh no, he's, There's he's no way. Not, he's not going to make it.
0: I, I I thought it was really interesting though, to me as well. I um, leading up to that point they try really hard to or it felt to me like they tried to distract us from that because we know that blake let, let, let me back up we know that blake is the main character despite the fact that he dies at like minute 42
1: yeah i see he you're is the this. driving force mm-hmm.
0: of the whole movie he is our our hero he is the guy who's supposed to go save his brother he's he gets the action moving he keeps the momentum going he drives Schofield to continue and then 42 minutes I think into the movie he gets stabbed and the only thing that keeps Schofield going
1: is that is
0: is the promise to his friend that he would he would get there and he would save his brother and despite not having any food despite being exhausted and and falling asleep while floating down the river and all this other stuff like He pushes on because of Blake. And so we as an audience expect Blake to be the one to make it to the end. And they distract us because Schofield gets his hand stabbed. You think, oh, he's going to go septic and he's going to die part way. And then the bomb goes off and he almost gets buried. And you're like, oh, God, is he even going to make it? And so you're constantly worried that Schofield, our supporting character, is going to die. And then you realize that he's not the supporting character. He's actually... Our lead. Who's going to carry, the, you know, three quarters of the movie on his own.
1: And I might even argue that Blake makes two more appearances after he dies. So the first one is when he's floating down the river and you see the petals from the cherry tree. That was kind of like a reminder, I think, to Schofield that because they, they had been just, right before he died, they were talking about that cherry tree and what they were doing. And you it know, kept what him that, going when he but... was
0: about to, to not
1: exactly so he saw he saw the petals from the cherry tree and then at the end you see his brother and he's like it looks like me but older it's like oh that was another good part too it was just like yeah it actually does look like him, but older it's you didn't know what his brother looked like but you could kind of envision it and then when you when you see him you're like yeah that makes total sense
0: but it also because we don't know what he looks like as soon as he got to that that scene with the d company and um, the guy singing in the in the trees, which, by the way, as a side note, was super surreal and dreamlike and, and a really interesting, beautiful little scene. I just I just loved it. And the and the, the voice of that actor was just. phenomenal. Yeah, but you yeah. get there and the camera's coming around and it's showing you all of these men who are getting ready to to go to battle. And, and you, you kind of know, even if you don't know, that he's where he needs to be. So I'm looking and I'm like, I'm seeing all these faces. And I'm like, oh, shit, that looks like his brother. Oh, that looks like his brother, oh, okay. That kind of, yeah. you know, so I was yeah. like, it, I, I don't know if that was intentional, but I feel like they placed people who kind of looked like him there, just like when he's going through the medical tents, there's bodies. And I'm like, that kind of looks like a Blake in that kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like, which one is it? He can't like, I, I think they all kind of look the same enough that they could a lot of them could be related. I don't know if that was intentional, but like it was a really good build of tension for me. Because I kept thinking, oh, that's going to be him, especially in that medical tent when the camera's coming through and it lingers on this guy or that guy. And they're like dead yeah. or dying in, a, in, a, in a, a stretcher, you know, and it was just it could have also just been
1: uh, Schofield's, you know, maybe his subconscious or something playing tricks on him because Blake had already died by that point. So he's like, please, Blake's brother be alive still like I need to I need to finish this. I need to save him essentially
0: and that that conversation between the two of them when he finally does find blake just
1: it's home man (laughs) it it was
0: so perfect because you know i mean it's it's these two guys who live in a time where showing emotion is not a thing for guys at all and Mm. it's still kind of the case but like especially then like men don't cry and you're in war you're, you're fighters you're you're manly man but then they're standing there and they're trying so hard to hold it together yeah neither of them are really able to do it yeah but they get through that that whole that whole last 15 minutes 10 minutes i just it was it was powerful stuff
1: it's uh it's a roller coaster for sure i think just about everything is portrayed in that
0: movie really well well, you're welcome for suggesting it. You suggested this one. That's that's what. I mean. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know. We don't we don't usually do new movies, but this one just a friend of mine out here invited me out to it. I I kept meaning to watch it, but there's been so many war movies and I'm just kind of I I really like them and I enjoy watching them and I see so much point in them, but it's gotten to a point where I don't I don't see a war movie come up in theaters and be like, I have to go to a theater and see this. But there was that little voice in my head that was like, oh, well, you know, it is Roger Deakins, and it was done one shot and whatever. Like, I'm going to have to watch it. But I kept putting it off, and I... Anyways, and eventually my my, my friend here was like, you, you have to come see this with me. And so I w- went and watched it, and it was such a powerful experience sitting in the theater watching it that I couldn't not like basically as soon as i finished that movie i basically just texted you and was like this is this is the movie we're we're getting this week (laughs) yeah this month it just has to be
1: yeah it, it was it was hard like just within the first 10 minutes not to gush about everything in this movie i was just like i said just as pretty much as soon as it started i was i was hooked right off the bat so
0: yeah it is in my mind one of the most powerful war movies i think has that has ever been made it's also by far one of the least war film war films that has ever been made you know it's like we like like we said previously it's just it's it's a character movie um it's about two friends going on an adventure trying to get to mordor and they got a bunch of shit in the way
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: <laughs> but it uh i yeah and, and I don't know. I mean, Sam Mendes has a lot of experience with war films and gun-related action sort of type films. but And, and, and kind of in the same... I don't know if you ever watched uh, Jarhead. Yeah, um, I love Jarhead. Jarhead was much the same. It's it's mm-hmm. one character's take on the war that he's in. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot more of a personal film. And just like that, I feel like this is a very personal story that just so happens to take place in this much larger... Conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I I cannot recommend it enough if you haven't seen it already. I'm I'm banking and hoping that it wins some Oscars. I think at the very least the production design deserves an Oscar. I, I think the cinematography and directing deserves an Oscar. Just
1: give it just give all the Oscars to it. Just
0: yeah. I think it could take best picture and I would be perfectly happy.
1: Yeah. I, I think hair and makeup should go to Joker
0: just because it's Joker. Just give Joker one. <laughs> Joker <laughs> but, needs one. Yeah, just I give mean, it. I, I I felt like that. Jo- Joker was a good movie. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things that people have been saying about it. But I also think that overall 1917 is a, I, a stronger I would, movie. I would
1: call it the, the superior movie. Yeah. But Joker was good too. If you haven't seen Joker, go see it because it's worth it. It's a good movie.
0: Yes, definitely. So... By the time this comes out, uh, the Oscars will have happened because they're starting in a couple hours. Um, But will our predictions be right? I don't know. I guess we'll find out in a couple weeks when we upload this. In the meantime, thank you guys very much for watching. Oh, actually, before we go.
1: Before we go, do you think we should uh, mention what we're gonna do next for the podcast? Oh
0: yeah, we might as well. <laughs> yeah, might as well. We've been, uh, we've been, we did a couple of war films, got on the war film run for two episodes here, and now I think we're gonna change gears. Paul had a, a real funny idea. Uh, so why don't you why don't you kind of break it down for us?
1: Well, they got. Uh, I watched the trailer, and I usually don't watch these trailers, but. I watched the trailer for Fast and the Furious 9, I think it is, and just how ridiculous it's starting to get. It looks like such a ridiculous movie, and it looks fun. And I haven't seen a Fast and the Furious movie in the theater since the fourth one. And I don't even, I thought, I saw the first one in the theater, and I didn't see the second or the third one in the theater. So I feel like now would be a good time to see another one in the theater and examine the evolution or de-evolution of the <laughs> Fast and the Furious franchise compared to where it started, because man, it's
0: the evolution. This
1: is like some Universal Soldier shit now, man. <laughs> like this is like this is getting crazy.
0: It's getting crazy. I I I will admit that Fast and Furious, the the Fast and the Furious, the first one, was a a real guilty pleasure of mine. I I love cars, mm. uh, especially the Supra. It's yeah, one of the super cars. Yeah. So the fact that they had it in there was made me really happy, um, and it was. I just I had a lot of fun with that movie, and it was it was interesting because it was it was about families and it was like a real world ish sort of scenario. Yeah, and it was even believable. Two, and three, and somewhat four were believable, and then I stopped watching.
1: Yeah, I mean, even I mean, all of them had their points where they kind of jumped the shark and everything else, but. um, yeah. I think it'd be, I think it'd be fun to examine these movies cause I usually don't see them. Uh, like I said, I haven't seen a Fast and the Furious movie since the fourth one. So I think it'd be fun to, uh, maybe go through not all of them, but maybe just certain eras of Fast and the Furious up
0: until now. <laughs> maybe we'll call it a, a, a retrospective, you know, we, we, we can start at the beginning and now we're here at the top on number nine. Uh, and and we we can kinda look at how they progressed or didn't and <laughs> what became of them. Depending on how you see these movies. Of course. So I don't know how they're still making them, honestly. But I mean I guess people are watching them, so you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the new one. I mean, I haven't watched five, six, seven, or eight, but now I'm gonna have to spend the next month in between working on <laughs> on this murder mystery just watching all of the Fast and Furious movies again.
1: Yeah. It's gonna be glorious. It's gonna be awesome and um, <laughs> awful and wonderful. All at the same time. <laughs> and nostalgic and whatever else. But yeah, I think that'd be a fun idea.
0: That'd be just a little, it will be. little, little fun idea for everybody. To pick up uh I guess that'll be April. April first. For April Fool's Day, we're gonna upload Fast and the Furious <laughs> Retrospective. Yes, <laughs> episode one. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you guys very much for listening. We uh, appreciate it a lot. I hope you've gotten some something out of it. We'd love to hear from you if you have any comments. Please feel free to get in touch, and uh, we will catch you guys next month. May the force be with you et cetera. Wait, that was, that was last week.